Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Professional goals can be very impactful, especially for managers and business owners. In this episode of the HR Chat Show, we're going to consider actionable goals that can be incorporated into a company's culture and daily operations. Listen to as we talk about the latest priorities and requirements in the world of employee benefits. Hello, this is Bill Bannum. I'm your host today. And my guest today is Becky Seafelt, VP of Strategy for Benefit Resource. Listen as Becky gives her take on seven important targets that businesses should strive towards and ways that HR pros can implement them. Becky, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the HR Chat Pod today. It's a pleasure to be here. So Becky, beyond my wee introduction there, why don't you start by taking a minute or two and introducing yourself to our audience and also telling them a little bit about Benefit Resource. Sure. So I've really spent the the last 20 years dedicated to education, marketing, product development, and advancement of consumer-driven benefit solutions. Uh, I am currently responsible for things like product strategy, company-wide strategic initiatives, uh, and industry advocacy and educational efforts. Uh, From an educational and awareness perspective, I'm actively contributing to publications like Benefits Pro and uh, the Forbes Business Council, and also conduct a lot of the webinar events and educational series for Benefit Resource. I also serve on the board and communications committee chair for ECFC, uh, which is an industry advocacy organization uh, dedicated to the education advancement of consumer-driven benefits. Uh, As far as Benefit Resource, we are a third-party administrator with nearly 30 years' experience dedicated to the administration of consumer-driven benefits. That includes things like health savings accounts, flexible spending accounts, health reimbursement accounts, commuter benefits, specialty accounts, and benefit continuation services. We work very closely with our clients and their benefits consultants to really understand the goals of the organization, along with the needs of their employees. And we are our goal is to really simplify those complexities of benefits while providing tools and resources which really enable employees to invest in their overall well-being. Okay, so as a as a pro who's uh who's knee knee deep in the world of employee benefits, what, what do you see that's that's changing at the moment? You know, over the last couple of years, we've had lots of stresses on on us, of course, uh, due to the uh, due to the pandemic, and it's changed the priorities of a, of a lot of folk. Um, many folk have uh, left their jobs. In fact, I believe there's a there's a term for that. I believe they call it the Great Resignation. Yes, listeners, that's right. Another episode where I reference the Great Resignation, um, um, and uh, as as part of the cultural change, really is um, is a desire for different types of benefits and uh, and different ways of working. What what have you seen that's that's changed over the last couple of years, and what are you also seeing that's continuing to change in 2022? Um, So one of the things that we did is we've surveyed our our clients and the HR professionals and really wanted to understand where their priorities were. And one of the first things we saw was that managing costs continues to be kind of the top of that list. But kind of once you get past that, that first item, uh, we saw 
other areas that really wouldn't have been a concern a few years ago. It included things like workplace, workplace planning, mental well-being, uh, talent acquisition, obviously, with the, the great resignation, uh, improving communication with employees, and then also the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And overall, we, this all lends itself to a really a more holistic view of what benefits are. And rather than just looking at benefits as the physical or financial uh, situation, it's also incorporating kind of three other dimensions, which includes the mental, the career, and the social uh, well-being. From a financial perspective, you obviously have your overall compensation as well as retirement planning, but many organizations are taking a step further to include things like financial wellness and educational initiatives. On a physical well-being perspe perspective, you certainly have your health insurance, uh, but then going the step further, uh, things like wellness programs and overall workplace safety. Uh, mental health, uh, obviously this is something that has gained a lot of attraction in the last couple of months, not months actually, uh, really with the pandemic. And employers are really taking a, a closer look at this. And uh, in addition to things that they may have traditionally had, such as an employee assistance program, uh, they're really looking to broaden the access that they provide their employees to include things like therapy, coaching, and mental health apps. Uh, really looking to even assess uh, what access employees have in different areas of the country, uh, making sure that the, the mental health providers are being provided on an equitable basis to all employees. Uh, then you have kind of these less um, defined areas like social well-being. And this is really a combination of corporate culture, work-life balance, and the overall connectedness that an individual has both inside and outside of the organization. A lot of these things wouldn't have historically been uh, labeled as a benefit, uh, but can be real differentiation points as employers look to kind of up their, their benefits programs. And then finally, you have kind of the career well-being. And this is something that organizations sometimes overlook. Uh, and it's really important, particularly in the tight job market, that employers are looking for ways in which they can grow and strengthen their existing talent. Uh, one of our partners recently used an analogy and said that uh, the benefits industry used to be about protecting you against getting hit by a bus. Uh, if you had life insurance, it, um, you had life insurance if you didn't make it. You had disability insurance if you were severely hurt, uh, and you had health insurance for any immediate injuries. But the reality is most people don't plan on getting hit by a bus uh, and don't really view that as a benefit or something that they want to utilize. Uh, so really changing that dynamic and that definition of what benefits are. Very comprehensive. So how has the legislative and regulatory environment affected benefits over the last couple of years? So obviously in the, the early times of the, the pandemic, there was a lot of relief action and uh, efforts towards kind of making benefits um, either accessible or making them work during the pandemic. Uh, a lot of that has really been past us and we're kind of seeing a, a new phase of legislative considerations. 
Uh, one of them is called the No Surprises Act. Uh, and this is really intended to protect consumers from certain surprise billing, billings. This includes things like air ambulance claims, emergency services, or even non-emergency services that might be billed as out-of-network expenses, but are being performed at an in-network facility. Initial guidance for this uh, No Surprises Act was released in July of 2021, and it really focused on that, that first part and the prevention of the balance billing uh, for those emergency services. Uh, and what this means is that participants can't be liable for amounts kind of above the standard cost sharing amounts. Uh, there were certainly balance billing situations in which an individual could get a bill for $10,000 because they in inadvertently used an ambulance service that was out of network. Uh, so it's going to protect against those types of scenarios. Um, but then where it gets a little more um, complicated is really the second part of the guidance that they released, which occurred in October and established, established the dispute resolution process. And this is really uh, between the, the payers and the providers, but the basic idea is that the provider uh, has to uh, enter into open negotiation process uh, in order to come to a resolution on what the, the amount is going to be. And uh, they need to exhaust that process in order to um, proceed to uh, submit an independent dispute resolution. And it, it's a fairly complicated process, but the, the goal is, is to really create a, a more formalized framework in which that can be resolved. Um, but as one would suspect, the regulators um, are, are challenged and have... Um, the difficulty of working between a pair and a provider, and no one seems to be uh, quite uh, on the right terms as to how they're going to determine uh, those amounts and what those disputes are. Uh, for employers, uh, the reality is this act is actually already uh, in effect as of January 1st of this year, um, but those dispute resolutions are still uh, overcoming some legal challenges. So there will be more guidance that we would expect um, in how those are going to be handled going forward. The, the second area that we're seeing more um, from a legal perspective is regarding the mental health parity laws. Uh, and this isn't necessarily a new act, um, but the focus of regulators and the enforcement of it is. Uh, so with this one, the act is really intended to ensure that the financial requirements and the treatment of um, mental health and subsidy abuse programs, that they're not the burden for the, receiving those services is not uh, financially or, or requirements more restrictive than any other medical or surgical benefits. So in January, uh, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services uh, did issue their initial report, and basically they found that there's a lot of work to do. Uh, so this is going to be something that I think we're going to see some more guidance on what does it really mean to offer mental health and substance abuse at a comparable or a, a parity to other medical services. Okay, thank you. So another thing that you were keen to chat to me about today were the, the types of things that employers sh should be looking at 
in regards to benefits. Maybe you can now take a minute or two and, and talk us through some of those key considerations. Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple different things here. Um, number one, we will see um, that the average deductible uh, that employees now have is is actually in alignment with the definition of a high deductible health plan for an HSA. And there was kind of this stigma for a long time that high deductibles were scary and that people didn't um, want to take advantage of those benefits. But the reality is that that, that now meets the uh, the average deductible that any employee has now meets that regulatory requirement for an HSA. And I think employers can really take a closer look and say, what small changes could we make to our health and plan uh, and ensure that that we allow employees and make them eligible to contribute to the HSA. Uh, it's one thing to have a high deductible, but by having the HSA and giving them an opportunity to really uh, save for those expenses and have a mechanism to to in, be in a financial better financial standing uh, and avoid any of those kind of unexpected um, financial burdens. Uh, I think also uh, with the pandemic, we've seen the the additional uh, complication of how location uh, can affect the overall benefits uh, approach. Uh, so this takes a couple different. Uh, forms. Number one is that the, the location itself uh, can affect kind of what employers do with benefits. And this can be particularly true with self-insured employers uh, where they may need to modify what their, their plan looks like or what their network looks like and what those reimbursement rates are going to look like if their uh, employee base is not as geographically uh, centralized as it once was. Uh, so really looking at those those benefits plans and how location can um, play a role in that. Uh, you can also be the types of benefits that might be appealing could be a factor. Uh, so if you have a lot of employees that are in office, uh, a commuter benefit subsidy might be an attractive option. But it's probably not going to be as attractive to a remote employee. So employers uh, clearly uh, may not want to kind of offer different benefits for different uh, employees based on kind of their location, uh, but they can kind of address those needs by looking at it from more of a total rewards strategy and looking at leveraging things such as benefits credits so that employees can actually apply uh, those credits towards the things that are going to provide them the most value. Uh, so it provides kind of a, a customizable approach while also kind of making it equitable for employees as well. Okay, so um, we, we've we've mentioned that term already so far today, but we're going to delve in a bit more. That's the great resignation. Um, I'd, I'd love to get your take, you know, a bit more on how it's affecting benefits and what are employers doing at the moment to try and attract and, and retain talent because it's so tough isn't it Becky it's, it's never been more difficult yeah definitely the the unique value is something that that we're seeing more and more and really trying to go from kind of that that cookie cutter view of of benefits uh to to something that really helps to align with people's personal priorities 
so benefits uh, certainly play an important role in, in that attraction and retaining talent, um, probably more so than we, we always thought. Um, but it really needs to go beyond kind of just an insurance plan and retirement plan. Those are expectations. Those are table stakes. But those aren't going to be the, the, the things that differentiate, differentiate you in a job listing. Um, when I look at job looks, listings or talk with employers, uh, some of the things that really kind of stand out are things like happiness accounts. Uh, so one client that we have has implemented a happiness account and have decided to reimburse employees for anything that contributes to the employee's happiness. Uh, so that's a pretty broad definition, um, but it it also kind of addresses that that idea that they want to be kind of connected with employees and they want employees to know that they're connected to their overall well-being. Um, also, other areas are things like uh, paying for employees streaming services. So um, why do I stay at my employer? Well, they pay for my Netflix. Uh, those are the types of things that that we're hearing, uh, things like pet benefits, um, other kind of entertainment uh, types of accounts. They're all really contributing to uh, that overall well-being of that employee, uh, but they're going a step further to really create a tie between the well-being and the individual's interests. And I think that's what, what will kind of win the race when it comes to the great resignation. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, we're going to switch tack a little bit now, Becky. Um, and as I mentioned in my intro, we're going to talk about seven key goals that organizations should try and strive towards. So um, these are your seven actionable targets that can be incorporated into a company's culture and their daily operations. I'd love for you now to take three, four or five minutes and, and go through each of the seven, one by one, and uh, tell us about them and why they matter. So I think um, anytime you can come up with kind of an action plan is is going to kind of take these uh, large ideas and, and make them things that you can do on a daily basis. So I think the, the first thing that we recommend is, is really taking time to, to recharge um, and creating that work-life balance. Uh, according to kind of recent Gallup polls, about uh, 28% of employees are feeling burned out very often or always. And the increase of remote work has really caused a blur of those work-life boundaries. But um, when people don't take that time to recharge, it does affect their productivity. It does affect uh, the errors that they make. And this goes for those HR professionals as well. And making sure that that they understand and that everyone understands that taking a break is not only recommended, it's necessary. The second tip is really regarding kind of taking advantage of wellness benefits. So wellness benefits uh, can be really a key component to addressing an overall well-being for an individual. And early versions um, of uh, wellness benefits really focused on things like step programs or health assessments. But the definition has really become much broader and has really uh, grown to, to include that overall well-being of employees. 
And I think it's an important component that employees understand that this is this is not an add-on. This is this is a core tenant of their their benefits as well. And next is the um, the focus on workplace culture, and I think it's particularly when when we look at the Great Resignation, uh, workplace culture can really play a key role in kind of employee satisfaction and has ability to to really help with retention strategies. Uh, It can be a point of differentiation when people are looking at overall employee acquisition as well. Um, When people can see how they can contribute to an organization and how their personal priorities align with the organization, uh, that's when you're going to get a very kind of productive and engaged employee in your workforce. Uh, Then we also have uh, working on communication. Uh, When we surveyed kind of HR professionals last year, uh, we found that improving communication was identified as one of their top priorities, with one out of two respondents indicating that they felt communication was getting lost or overlooked. And with this, I think employers really need to consider moving beyond kind of the once a year benefits communication blitz to really an ongoing communication strategy with more bite-sized communication and remembering to kind of meet employees where they're at. So if employees are communicating by email, great, Uh, but they might also be communicating through Teams or Slack or, or other channels making sure that you're kind of addressing those those channels as well. Next is reflecting on employee experience. Uh, We're all moving into an era uh, when employees are in the driver's seat in in many ways. And employers, they can recognize that employers do have more um, sway than they may have and really listen to what those employees are looking for and what's important to them. I think that's going to be a differentiation point for them. Uh, And don't be afraid to ask. Um, Surveying employees or conducting stay interviews are great ways to really action uh, and listen to those employees and understand what's most important to them. Also, encouraging increased skill set and professional growth. When an employee's uh, career goals align with the organization's, uh, you're going to have that more engaged workforce and really help to build potential future leaders. Uh, employee growth can be in many different forms. And sometimes you'll have things that are formal career paths or formal educational programs. But a lot of times it can just be other opportunities to enrich an employee's job, uh, whether it's through skills training or presentation skills, having them lead a special project. Uh, there's lots of ways in which you can contribute to the professional growth of an employee. And finally, is really kind of revisiting uh, the priorities and kind of employee benefits at large. Uh, employers need to really think about um, the more holistic needs of employees and their approach to benefits. In benefit resources survey in 2021, we heard that 40% of respondents indicated that employees' needs have changed. It's a good place to start to look at those five dimensions that we talked about at the beginning, kind of the the financial, the physical, the mental, social, and career well-being, and really identify any potential opportunities that you might have as an organization and look um, to how you can improve your benefits 
And then if anything, um, looking for something unique. Uh, so those, those specialty accounts are a great way to really address those, those unique needs that employees may have and kind of address some of that overall well-being area that, that many organizations uh, have been neglecting over time. Okay, before we do wrap up for today, Becky, uh, how can our listeners connect with you? And how can they also learn more about all the awesome things and all the cool content that's being created over at Benefit Resource? Yep, um, so the easiest, easiest option um, is to to visit benefitresource.com that will contain all of our blogs and newsletters, uh, also any of the articles that do get published in kind of third parties, we will host them there. Uh, from the podcast perspective, uh, you can also find it on over 30 different platforms. So it's the bright side of benefits. It is available from many places, but includes uh, like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio. But really, if you're if you're interested in learning more, uh, benefitresource.com or visit us on LinkedIn, um, Benefit Resource. And um, both of those will, will get you to kind of all the, the content that we have available. Uh, and then my email address is bcfelt at benefitresource.com. Perfect. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Becky, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Yes, thank you. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.